0: Here's my challenge. Here's the challenge of the day. Don't miss it. Don't, don't miss out on what God could have for you. So often things happen and we just, we just sort of miss out on it. You ever missed out on something big in your life and you, you look back with regret and wish you'd been there? You had the opportunity or wish you'd been fully present? Back in 1985, someone offered me a ticket to all of us Alabama fans to what's called the Van Tiffen game. When Van Tiffin kicked that 52-yard field goal with six seconds left, and I turned the ticket down, and I regret it. If you're an Auburn fan, it's analogous to kick six, you know. You wanted to be there when it happened. You've probably heard me say this before. I grew up down the Del Delrada area, Garrett Coliseum. When I was in high school, Elvis Presley came. I had a chance to go, and I didn't go. And I still regret it to this day. Now, I've never told you why I didn't go. I did not go because it was Wednesday night. And no one had taught me, until you guys did, that it's okay to skip Wednesday night. You've t- nowadays, I'd just gone. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I wish, I mean, to be there with Elvis, you know? But you know what? God's good to me. You know, I may have missed Elvis, but I've, I've made Jeremy Swindle. Man, I wish I could do that kind of stuff. (laughs) Jeremy, you're awesome, man. And and, and guys, you know, when when we meet together, we meet together to praise God. And in the book of Hebrews, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. There's a group of young Christians that that are missing out on what God wants for them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. They're missing out on an amazing time together. And God's writing them He's saying, hey, you don't want to miss this. I mean, let's go, let's go back to verse 19. Because he's going to talk about all three of the upward, inward, and outward in this passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. Toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, here's some things that he's afraid they're going to miss. First of all, don't miss God. I mean, the the writer of Hebrews is explaining to us how that because of Jesus, we are all now priests. You know, it was the high priest who could go into the Holy of Holies and once a year meet with God. But it was a very frightening thing. And so history tells us when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they would tie a rope around his ankle that put some bells on the rope because nobody else had that kind of access to God. And if for some reason he goes in there and he dies, ain't nobody going in. And, and, and so it, when you, if you hear the bell stop ringing, and he's not moving in the presence of God, you're going to pull him out because only one guy once a year can go in. And here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Do you guys realize what you have? When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom to signify it was God who did the tearing. And now every one of us has full access to God. And the writer's saying this, dude, don't miss it. Do you realize in your life today that you don't have to go once a year through somebody else into the presence of God? You can go any moment, any time into the presence of God. You've got that kind of access. And he's saying, don't miss God. He's also saying in this passage, don't miss church. You, you, you need those inward relationships. Because one of the first signs that your faith is weakening is when you start skipping the assemblies of God's people. Because God intends for something to go on there, and he doesn't want you to miss it. And that's the next thing. Don't miss motivating each other. He uses a couple of really great words here of how we motivate each other. When we get together, he says, we are supposed to spur each other on. We are supposed to encourage each other. Because when we come together... Yeah, sometimes you think, well, it's just to worship God. Well, you could do that in your closet by yourself. That's part of it, no question. And there's something special about corporate worship. But beyond that, it's also the place where we meet together to spur and to encourage one another own. That's why, you know, I love the energy that Jeremy's bringing to our service here. Why? Because the goal here is for you to walk out these doors— motivated out of your mind to live for Christ. The goal is not for you to come in here and just check off a box and go through some motions and do the right things. The goal is for us to so spur each other on, so motivate each other, so be into God, so be into our relationships, that when we walk out here, we've got an outward focus on other people. And so he says, don't miss motivating. Traditionally, we read this passage to say, you need to go to church, and it does say that. But what it really says, more than even you need to go to church, is when you get to church, you need to do something to motivate somebody else. Can I ask you, if someone sits beside you in this assembly, will they be more motivated because they happen to plop down beside you? Or are they going to be motivated out of their mind to leave this place and be on this mission that we're talking about for God? And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, you guys are going to miss out on something special. Because here's the result. The result is an explosion of love and good deeds. If we do what we're supposed to do here, what will happen out there is an explosion. And I, I love how he says, love and good deeds. You know, you know there, there are certain churches you, you see that, that are full of good deeds, and they do the right thing, and they do it everywhere, and they're very strict about it, but sometimes they do it without love. And there are other churches, you know, that are are all loving, but never really stand up for the good. And the writer says, if we do what we're supposed to do here, what we must do is we must explode on our community with with a love that people have never experienced from anybody else, and with good deeds that actually bring glory to God. So the question this morning, as we look at outward, is what do we do when we leave here? When we leave here, guys, we, we need to be pumped up. We need to be motivated. But what happens when we walk out these doors? Let's look at a couple passages together and get some points here. Colossians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, probably the most evangelistic person in history saved Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. Paul says, first of all, guys, you need to pray for me. Now, now some translations actually have a paragraph division here, because there weren't any in the original, where, where, where honestly, it makes it very clear, Paul's talking about himself there. He is an evangelist at heart. But then he talks about the rest of us, In the next couple verses, verse five, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer everyone. Now, here's the first point this morning. You and I need to recognize our roles. There are different roles in the body of Christ. We spent the summer trying to figure that out. And here's the question from this passage. Are you a gifted evangelist or are you an evangelistic believer? Now, there's no doubt that Paul is a gifted evangelist. He's the guy that can walk in any room and just boldly speak out for Jesus. Now, as we surveyed our church over the last few months, we found out that there's a very small percentage of us that are bold evangelists, okay? But, But that's why this next, Teaching is so important. You may not be that bold evangelist. I think a lot of us live with a lot of guilt because we're not the Apostle Paul. I think, boy, if if, if I could just be Paul, and our only model of evangelism is Paul, and for some of us that's good, but for a vast majority of us, we're never going to be Paul. That's not how God's gifted us. But on the other hand, we can be evangelistic believers. Now, what's Paul's instruction to us? We're not going to be as bold as him, but he says, you guys, all of you need to be a part of this. You need to pray like crazy. You need to go out there and live a life that's inviting to other people. You need to be ready when a door opens of opportunity. Your life needs to be lived in such a way that that people are going to be asking you questions, and you're going to have the answer. Now, Peter says... Almost the exact same thing. Look with me in First Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Peter says almost the exact same thing, just in his own words. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, he says, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter says the same thing. Here's what you do, is you go out and you live a life that's so in love with Jesus. I mean, you've got that relationship with Jesus. You've got that upper relationship. You're meeting with the body of Christ consistently, and we're motivating each other. Not about what happens here, but about what happens out there. And you go out there and you live a life that people can go, what is it with you? What's up with you? Why, when everybody else at work was panicking, everybody else was complaining about the boss, you were so calm. Man, I, I know what's going on with your health right now. I know what you're facing. I, I couldn't face it that way. What's happening with you? I notice you go to church every Sunday. I, I wouldn't even think about that. Why would you, why do you do that when you could have just more free time? Because your life, I like the way one author says, you need to live a questionable life. Say that with me. You need to live a questionable life. Can I ask you, right now, is your life spurring, provoking questions from other people? Did they see something different? Now, here's what happened in the first century, my friends, is that this thing started like wildfire. And by the third century, the church is exploding. Now, I was reading some history this week from one of the Roman emperors named Julian. And Julian's getting really upset because Christianity's winning over the empire. And and he doesn't quite know what to do. it's, It's funny when you read his writings is that he calls Christians atheists. We're atheists because we don't believe in the pagan gods. And he says, these atheists, he says, man, when somebody's poor, they take care of them. If they're master of a slave, they treat them right. When there's a disease, they don't march out of the city. They march back into the city. And his mind is absolutely blown away by how this is exploding. But he says, I think we can stop it. And so he comes up with a game plan. Uh, Let me read this part of this history book. Julian was concerned that the Christians' acts of hospitality and philanthropy were winning too many of his subjects. He decided to launch an offensive against them by mobilizing his officials and the pagan priesthood to outlove the Christians. So he decreed that a system of food distribution be started and hostels be built for poor travelers. So he comes up, if you had more time, we'd read it, with this elaborate plan for pagan priests, for average Romans— to to try to start living hospitable lives, loving lives, and to quote unquote try to outlove the Christians. Here's what history records: perhaps not surprisingly, Julian's new social programs utterly failed. He could not motivate pagan priests or Ra- or Roman officials to care that much for the poor. He failed to recognize that the Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit motivated by love and his grace. You just couldn't do it. And he couldn't replicate it. And guys, the reason we can be the way we are is not because we're any better than any, anybody else. It's because we just had, we just run into Jesus. And, and, and you can't do it. Guys, sometimes we say, oh, the government needs to do this. And the Guys, we cannot count on government social programs to do what the church is meant to do. It never happened. And so I love that. And then as we look through Scripture, we see examples. Titus chapter 2, he says, you live in such a way that you make the teaching attractive. And if if you read context there, um, Peter addresses older men, older women, younger men, younger women, masters, slaves, and he, he gets very specific about the way they should live their life. He says, you know, you know, women, be respectful to your husbands. Men, treat your wives with love. If you're a young man, live a life that's pure and full of integrity. I mean, it's just like today. If you're a young person in the crazy culture we live in, and you're a virgin, and you're seeking to be a virgin, and people around, you know, the locker room start talking about that, and and, and you're different, it raises quite, why would you do that? You're around people that are you know smoking dope, and Getting drunk and and you're out and you're with them, and you don't live that way. I mean, I could always remember working for the Alabama Department of uh, Transportation one summer. I, I thought my dad was really powerful, could get me a really good job. And I'm on a trash truck, and that's that's about as good as we get. All right. And so we're picking up trash one day, and on the side of the road, and uh, uh, we stop, and we um, it, it was raining, but they didn't want to go back because if we went back, we'd get our pay dock. So we just turn our trash cans upside down. We sit and we put this ugly yellow tarp above us and somebody pulls out a joint. I'm not talking about their elbow. Somebody pulls out a joint and starts smoking it. And it just starts going around and I just sort of passed it on. And it just kept on going. And so I guess we probably got high just being there, but I just just sort of passed it on. And then we're walking down the highway again, picking up trash. And this guy, i never forget his name. His name was Biggs. And he came to me, and said, I noticed you didn't smoke any. What's up with that? And I prayed real quick, got my courage up, and said, man, I'm a Christian. I don't need that to be high. And the rest of the time, man, he wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, when our lives are distinctive, not in a negative, judgmental way, not in a preachy way, but in a way that says, you know what, I don't, I don't have to have this. I've got something much better. People are attracted. And, and, and today, friends, we need to live lives that are that are so radically different that, that people want to ask us questions. Now, now, now listen to me here just for a second. It, 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 it's not enough just that we're nice people and pay our taxes and happen to show up at a church building a few times a week. That's not that inviting. It's not just that you're good and you cut your grass and you take your trash out on time. That's nice. We ought to all do that. It's got to be something more than that. It says, there's something different. Let me, let me give you some ideas this morning as we start closing out. Just some ideas of how your life could be radically different that would cause people to want to know what's going on. Here's one, undeserved forgiveness. Just undeserved forgiveness. I mean, when, when, when your life... Let me say this way, guys. Forgiveness is such a cool Christian topic until you've been done wrong. And it is really, really hard. But when you forgive that person who stabbed you in the back at work, or you forgive the family member who did you wrong. And I mean, I think of what happened a little over a year ago in Charleston, South Carolina, where that young man, Dylan Roof, walked into that church in that Bible study at midweek and shot all those people and killed them. Even the secular media could not stop noticing when those Christian people stood up in that courtroom and said, "Dylan Roof, we forgive you. because the world doesn't know that. And when they see that in us, man, you gotta go, why would these people forgive a guy who just shot their friends and relatives and children? Only Jesus. How about this one, a positive attitude? How different is that? Man, if, if, you know, if you're, a, 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 you're in school, I mean, does anybody ever brag about the lunches at school? I mean, you also said, man, they really feed us good here. People would go, you're crazy. Even if it is good, you just aren't supposed to do it. And in most workplaces, even if you have a decent boss, it's out of vogue to brag about your boss. I mean, everybody's just supposed to beat around the water cooler and complain about what— how about if you're not that person? I mean, you, again, that's not saying your boss is perfect or the food's perfect, but you're not the person constantly complaining. How about extraordinary service? Let me, let me word it better. Extraordinary service. When you go out of your way to help somebody that you don't have to, when you interrupt your schedule, because it's, it's one thing, I, I'm bad about this, as long as it fits in my schedule, then I'm okay serving you. But if i got to radically alter my schedule, I'm going to have to work on that one. But I've seen its power. One of the last people I had the blessing of leading to Christ. and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because I don't normally do that very good on this, but I met this guy at the Y and we started talking and he found out that I was a Christian and a preacher and wanted me to pray for him. He was trying to get off some stuff and, and do better. And, and so we talked, and then one day we went to lunch, and he just unloaded, man, his story to me and told me actually he had a court date because of some terrible things he had done. And right before he got out of my car, I said, man, I'm, when's your court date? He said, Friday, 10 o'clock. I said, I'm going to be there. And I, I showed up at his court date. It was me, him, his parents, and stood up for the judge. I don't know hardly know this guy. He's just, he's blown away. Again, I'm not giving myself credit. I'd hardly ever do this. He's just blown away. You, you, you would show up for someone like me? You know the worst part of me I just told you? And you're going to come support me? Guys, it was no problem telling that young man the gospel and baptizing him. And guys, when we do extraordinary service, that's what causes people to ask questions. Let me give you a few more. How about surprising generosity? When you're just generous, when no one's expecting it. I went out to eat the other night with a, a friend of ours, a real strong Christian man. And, and uh, we went to a nice restaurant, and this little girl waited on us. And this guy's not even from here in Pensacola. That we, uh, Montgomery's from Pensacola, actually. He'd come up last Sunday. And uh, we have a great time, and waitress is really nice. And, and, and they engage him, and they invite the waitress. Not me, not Steph. They invite the waitress to Lamarck. And then I watched. I probably shouldn't have watched. But when he paid for the meal, he gave her a $40 tip. Now, people aren't expecting that. Can you imagine what it's like to be a waitress with the amount of people that complain or and are chintzy? Guys, it's those kind of things. How about this one? Unexpected hospitality. Guys, here's something that's changed in our culture. Hardly anybody opens their home to anybody else anymore. That's almost unheard of. Where we used to be, we always entered. We don't do it. And I'm telling you, when you do that, when you throw the block party, and you invite everybody in your neighborhood. I heard someone talking this week said, you know, they, they host their life group at their home. And, and, you know, of course, every Sunday night, there's all these cars, you know, around their block. They said, finally, they had a neighbor come to them. The neighbor came and said, what goes on in your house every Sunday night? Who are all these people? Nobody else. And he thought, you know what I should do is when we're hosting a life group, what I ought to do is go around the block and say, hey, you're gonna see a lot of cars out here next few Sunday nights. Uh, Would you like to come? We'd love for you to join us. It's that unexpected. it's It's when you invite somebody to lunch with you today or invite somebody into your home it's something that makes a big, big difference. How about just uh, gracious conversations? Because some of us Christians need to get off Facebook and get as far away from politics as we can. Because often we're just not coming across gracious at all. And you guys, that that's what Paul said back in Colossians. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. My friend, if you'll be gracious, that doesn't mean you don't take a stand. But you don't have to be nasty and vindictive and attacking and personal like the world is and like politics is today. People notice that. Let me, let me tell you just a, a, quick, a quick little deal here. If you will just actually ask people questions, you'll make an impression. I can't tell you the amount of people that I encounter in life where you can go sit down for an hour lunch and they never ask you a question. <laughs> now hope none of you think, oh great, when did I eat lunch with Buddy? But I mean, you go through a, a whole hour and they, 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 just, they just talk about themselves. That's the way most, pe- most of us are. If you will just be gracious with people and interested in their life and ask, good there can, there's going to be something different th- about you. How, how about this one more? Unexplainable peace. This may be the top one. Man, when you have a tragedy in your life or a death or a sickness, and you have a peace that, that can only be explained by God? Guys, that probably causes more questions and more notice than anything else. I can't get away from a brother that's such a strong part of our church for so long, Alex Jackson. And I remember when Alex got Parkinson, and he had Parkinson Plus. It was just... And I'll never forget him saying, but I want to tell you how I feel about this. I'm in a win-win situation. If God decides to heal me, i win. If God lets me go ahead and pass on, i win. And, and he lived those few years in that light. And we lived in the same neighborhood with Alex and Cindy there. And I remember a neighbor cornering me and saying, do you know this Alex Jackson guy? I cannot believe the way he handles this. And I'm saying to you and I, guys, we're all going to have tragedy in our life. And we've got to be ready to respond in a way that that shows a peace. Because guys, all of these things you look at, the only reason that we can do this, this is what that Emperor Julian found out. You can't legislate this. You can't make this happen. It's got to be a heart change. The only reason we can be this way, guys, is because we've encountered Jesus and he's given me more undeserved forgiveness than I could ever give anybody else. He's served me. He's been generous. He's gracious. And he gives us an unexplainable peace because we know him. You can't give what you don't have. And that's why when you first encounter Jesus, then this stuff can flow out of you. And so here's our point so far this morning. We'll make one more point. The first point is that you need to recognize your role. Reckon, be, be comfortable. If you're not the bold evangelist, that's okay. Go out there and live in a questionable way. Raise questions from outsiders. And I've got one more point here. Is reach for red apples. You say, buddy, what in the world are you talking about right now? Reach for red apples. In our one more group Wednesday night, we watched a uh, Right Now Media video by a, a teacher named James McDonald. And he shared about the, the evangelistic philosophy of his church. And he talked about red apple evangelism and green apple evangelism. And it was, it was brilliant, one of the best things I ever heard. He said, most of us Christians have green apple evangelism. We're out, we, we pick who we want to win. We want to win the person we like, the friend, the relative, you know. And so, so we, we just pour into them. He said, that's good. And honestly, a lot of what we've talked about today is you tilling the soil, you living in such a way that that person who's not quite ripe will at some point Need the gospel and they'll turn to you. That's good. But McDonald says what our church is centered around is John 4, verse 35, where Jesus says, Do not say four months and then the harvest. I tell you, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He said, What you need to do is focus on the red apple. That's the people that are most open to the gospel. He says, I've listened to hundreds of testimonies of people coming to Christ. He said they're all the same. I'm walking through life, I'll give it in southern terms. I think I'm cool as grits. And then God drops a boulder on my life. And I figure out the way I'm living is not working. It's just not working. And I've got to have something else. And I'm looking, I'm a red apple. I'm Zacchaeus up that tree. I like what McDonald's said. You, you look for people that are up the tree. You, you look for the people that, you know what? Their life has been broken. Maybe it's by divorce. Maybe it's by sickness. Maybe it's by failure. Maybe it's by depression. Maybe it's by losing their job. Maybe it's bankruptcy. Maybe it's losing a friend. I mean, what, you, you name what it might be. But somehow that boulder has come in their life. They've lost that person they loved, and and they are broken in life, and they know whatever they've got doesn't work. And you open your eyes. He gave a great example. He said, you may be out at a restaurant trying to reach your green apple friend, and you're trying to be so kind and nice and take them out. He said, that's good. He said, but when you go to the restroom and you see a man in the corner that's bawling, crying, he says, that's your red apple. Don't be so focused on this green apple that you don't notice there's a guy in the restroom broken that would be open to the gospel if you would just share it. And I'm sure some of you, you know somebody that's a red apple. Be looking for that person. Be ready to pick that. I mean, live in such a way that people go, wow, there's something different about you. And when life comes crashing down on them, and it will, they go, you know what? I remember this woman that used to work with me and everything in her life fell apart and she was okay. What is it about her? So this morning, let me say, uh, there may be some red apples in this assembly. I mean, nobody sitting beside you may know this, but, but life's come tumbling down on you. You're broken. Today could be the day that you come to Jesus. Why do not you come to him? I mean, guys, this is an open place. If life's not working and the way you've been approaching things not working, this is your chance to come to him and have that opportunity. And then there's a lot of us in here. I want to go back to our original question, which is, you know what? Are you missing out? I mean, too many of us, listen to me, listen real closely for two more minutes. Too many of us, we have full access to God any moment, any day, and we don't spend much time with God. Too many of us, we got an awesome church full of loving people, and we just come on Sunday mornings and slip in and out and never build relationships. Too many of us, we're searching for meaning in life when we could walk out these doors on a mission for God. And so this morning I ask a bunch of us, are you missing out on something? Is today the day for you to declare yourself that you want the things that are important? It's a really terrible thing, you know, when you get later in life and you look back and you go, man— I was around this person. I loved her so much. I loved him so much. And I was there, but I wasn't fully present. I regret that so much. And and, and this is what God, God doesn't want you to have that regret. You don't have to live with that regret. You can live in intimate fellowship with God. You can have real friendships that are below the superficial service of our world. And you can actually live a life with meaning. don't miss it. If you're missing it, if you are missing it, do something about it right now while we stand together and sing.